Hey, welcome to Renovation Church. Uh, my name is David Soren. I'm the lead pastor here. Hey, very quickly before we get into our message, we, as Rachel said, are only three weeks away from our beloved house groups, but we have a pressing need. I would even call it a very pressing need uh, in our church. We are launching 12 house groups. Well, we have 12 house groups. They're not all new. Many of them, a couple of them will be new. And we have host homes for almost all of our groups, but we're still in need of one to two host homes. And we are nearing the wire. I would say we're kind of at the wire as a church. And so I'm asking you this morning, do you have a house in the city of Blaine? Maybe I just ruled a bunch of you out. Do you have a house? It's probably not a townhouse because we need to park a lot of cars, but do you have a house in the city of Blaine? Does it have walls and a floor and a ceiling? If you are still, if I haven't narrowed you out yet, I am talking to you. Uh, Listen, it doesn't need to be perfect. It doesn't need to be 5,000 square feet. We are just simply looking for someone that will say, here, here I am, Lord. You can use this space. Uh, ministry will happen in my house every week. It's an amazing thing to be a part of. You're not the leader. You're just opening your home up for the group that you'd be a part of. And honestly, as, as we're narrowing people down, it's probably, not necessarily, but probably um, one of you that is new within the last six months of the 150 of you that are new here. And that's because most of the other people that have been here are already in a house curve. So if you feel like I'm talking to you, you've got this space, God can use you in this, will you please, after the service today, today, come up to me in the lobby and just say, it's me. Or you can talk to Pastor Josh on our staff as well. Okay, all right. Today is a very exciting day for us at church for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, throughout the morning, this morning, we are baptizing three people. We have two at this service, which is kind of fun. And we have come to the end, the culmination of our Life of Elijah series. So we are in week 10 of 10 today. I have loved doing this series with you this summer. It's just been a ton of fun. Uh, if you are here for the very first time, welcome to week 10. Uh, you can catch up online if you'd like. Uh, just to give you some context, Elijah was a prophet who lived about 850 years or so before Jesus in the nation of Israel. And one of his main tasks was just to boldly confront the leaders who were leading the Israelites to sin by having them bow down to idols, to statues. And Elijah's leading the people back to worship the one true God, the Lord. Okay, so we're going to jump into the Bible. This is what we do here. We study the Bible. Uh, There's a Bible under every chair, so go ahead and grab one. Uh, We are going to be on page 250. Everybody grab something, whether you grab your phone or you grab a Bible. We want you studying the Word of God here. So page 250, if you brought your own Bible, uh, we are on 2 Kings chapter 2. Or you can use the Renovation Church app. You just have Bible and weekly verses. But it's so good to have the Word in front of you as we study it. Because you might want to, we might take it off the screen, but you might need to keep looking at it as well. Also, if you don't have a Bible in your house, one that you read often, one that you can easily understand, these Bibles under the chair, they're our gift to you. So if you don't have one, would you just take it with you this morning? There's even a little reading plan in there that'll help you start with the easiest books to read in the Bible. So that is for you if you need that this morning. Okay, page 250, 2 Kings chapter 2, I'll write it verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha, that's his successor, were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? 
Yes, I know, Elisha replied. So be quiet. Then Elisha said to him, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied. So be quiet. Then Elisha is obviously annoyed by this. Then Elisha said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan, the Jordan River. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Okay, let's pause there for a second. So this is our beloved friend Elijah. This is his last day on earth. Uh, the Lord is going to take him up to heaven in a whirlwind. Uh, spoiler alert, I guess we haven't really got to that part yet. But miraculously, he's not going to die. And we see that his eventual successor, Elisha, is still with him. In fact, now he's been serving and learning from Elijah for years. This is not like a semester internship. And Elisha is going to benefit so mightily from this mentor-mentee relationship. In fact, you're going to see the fruit of his life. If you study the book of 2 Kings, you keep reading, which I encourage you to do, about Elisha, you'll see the fruit of being in this mentor-mentee relationship is just amazing. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at four important factors from this passage that we can learn about the fruits or the importance of being in sort of a mentor-mentee Christian relationship. Okay, here's the very first one. If you're taking notes, you can use the bulletin or your phone or whatever works. Uh, Number one, chase after people ahead of you. Here's what I mean by that. I think this, one of the things that jumps right out from the first few verses of this passage is Elijah has a really busy last day, right? Lots of walking. And several times, he says to his mentee, Elisha, he says, hey, you know, that's enough. We've gone a long ways. You can just stay here. And each time, what does Elisha say back to him? He says, I'm not going to leave you. I mean, even though he's been following Elijah for years now, he wants to soak up. He wants to get every last second that he can with his mentor before his mentor leaves him. So I think really the first big question for all of us in this room, is do you have someone in your life who is ahead of you spiritually? They're more spiritually mature than you are, that you are learning from, that you are benefiting from. And I'm not talking about a a pastor you can podcast or an author that you're reading, so rule those people out. I'm talking about a person that you can rub shoulders with in your life. They're in your life. They maybe bent over to your apartment or your house. They know your ups and downs. Because we all need people like this. This is so important if you are going to walk out the Christian life. It doesn't even need to be this like official thing. It could be, but it doesn't have to be like, you're my mentor now. But we need people who are spiritually ahead of us, that are in our lives, that are encouraging us to follow Christ. Right? They're encouraging us to be more holy in our life, to develop a passion for the lost. They, They are encouraging you to be more passionate about Jesus. Sometimes they're even challenging you. Do you have somebody like that in your life? This is one of the reasons that our church is so, so passionate about these house groups that we keep talking about. And these groups, and we'll talk a lot about them in the next month, are our groups of 30-some people that gather together weekly to grow in their faith. And we're so passionate about it 
Because we want you to be known. We want you to be known. I've mentioned several times over the years that I think one of the main failings of the modern American church is church has become something we consume. You know, last week we talked about church for many people, it's just a podcast. Even for people who attend, church is just like a consuming thing. I get fed and then I go out. Some of you have been in a pattern, you know, maybe if you just came to this church from another church or you're new to the area, maybe the last two or three years, your church relationship has been you walk into church and you walk out of church and you don't know anyone. And some Americans do that for years. Some Christians in America have been doing that for a decade now. But if you read about church in the New Testament, the people are known by other people. There are people in their life that are challenging them, supporting them, encouraging them. All of those things are so important. And house groups gives you access to a bunch of people like that that you just normally wouldn't have access to. But one of the things that I find in this passage and also in my life is if you really want someone who's just going to spur you on spiritually, really encourage you, sometimes you have to chase after mentors like that. Because if someone is ahead of you spiritually, if they're ahead of you as a leader, they're probably busy, right? It's not like Elijah the prophet was just sitting around looking for more things to fill his plate with. Do you remember if you were here a couple of weeks ago when Elijah first, it was in our message, burn the plows. When Elijah first meets Elisha and anoints him as his successor, he throws his cloak on him. What does Elijah do? Right away, he just leaves again. And Elisha literally has to run after him like, hey, hey, wait, I'll do it. He's on the move. He's like, let me kiss my mom goodbye or whatever. Because Elijah, he's got stuff to do. And if you really want people in your life that can affect you spiritually, move you spiritually, you might have to chase after them. Also, mentors are often, not always, but often they're older than you. As a church, we run against the grain of American culture and consumeristic culture in a lot of ways, because I think scripture does in a lot of ways. And one of the ways we do that is how we structure our groups. And so one of the trends I've seen in the American church the last 10 or 15 years is churches structure their groups by, hey, are you 24 to 26 and you love the outdoors? Then we've got the group for you right? And we love this as Americans. Like, yes, it is so easy. I'm going to make friends so easily. They're my age group. We can talk about trees together or whatever you would do in that group, right? You get really excited. It just feeds into our consumerism and our just desire for customization that we have as Americans. It's like, okay, biblically, can you even imagine in the New Testament, Peter or the Apostle Paul, you know, starting the church in Corinth or in Antioch going, all right, everybody who's 34 to 35, where are, my, where are my people who love farming at? Got sheep people? Where are my sheep people at? We're getting all the sheep people together. You just can't even imagine it, right? And that's because the body has to look different. We're not all the same part. So one of the things that we do in our groups is our groups are intergenerational. You might have an 18-year-old in your group. You might have an 88-year-old in your group. And I think that's good because sometimes... For example, what a group of, say, new moms needs is not just another new mom. Sometimes you need a woman who's already been a mother for 20 years. You know what I'm saying? There's a value in that. We need to learn from people who are ahead of us. Finding the right person who's ahead of you spiritually, that actually spend time with you, hang out with you, maybe even study scripture with you, might require you chasing after them a little bit. They might even tell you no the first time. 
but chase after them. You know, I think in my own life, I've been really blessed, like the last 12 or 18 months, to have more and more pastors that are ahead of me pouring into me. But I find that I got to chase after those guys because they're busy. They're super busy. But it's a blessing to have them in my life. So start the chase. Okay, let's look at the second factor of the mentor-mentee relationship that we can learn from this passage. Number two, don't just look for someone to pour into you. So one of the things I've learned in whenever I talk about mentorship is immediately, because we're Americans, the very first thing we think of is, ooh, somebody could help me. Rarely is the first thing on our mind, who could I help? We just go to ourselves first. But if you want to be like Christ, and I hear a lot of Christians say, I want to be like Christ. If you want to be like Christ, then imitate him. Because Jesus is a person who spent a significant amount of his time mentoring and pouring into others, you know, specifically his 12 disciples. So let me ask you a question. Who are you influencing spiritually? If we just paused, we won't do this, but if we pause for a couple minutes and I made you write down a list of all the names of people that you personally are influencing spiritually, how many names could you get to? And unfortunately, this is something we don't even think about a lot of times in the American church. You know, it's, it, that's because our culture gets in the way. In different parts of the world, this isn't as big of an issue. But in our consumeristic culture, we think church, like, oh, I've got to get to a church. I need good Bible teaching. I need to get fed. But who are you influencing? Who's on your list? Jesus Christ wants you to influence people spiritually. If you're going, I don't even know where to begin. Well, you, maybe even you begin helping in renovation kids or with the youth group. Or there's plenty of new believers at this church. So maybe when you get in the house group in a few weeks, you get connected with some of those people that are brand new in their faith, and you start influencing them spiritually. On a related note, I, I want to tell you something kind of interesting. I will, I'll tell you what has been the most common comment I've heard from people out in the lobby. So I'm always out talking to people in the lobby, and by far the most common thing I've heard from people in the last six months uh, is this. Someone will come up to me almost every week, if not every week, every other week, and they come up to me and they say, Pastor, love the church, love the new church, love the, love the Bible teaching, people are going to reach for Christ, I just, I love it. But I got to tell you something. <clears throat> Usually they kind of they get quiet, they kind of lean in, and they'll say, I feel like I'm the only old person here. And I, think, I always think, well, first of all, I would love for you to meet the other 75 only old people here that I've, that I've met in the last couple of weeks. But let me just address this from a few angles, because we're just hearing this so often in the last six months. Number one, if that is you, if you have talked to me or you're feeling that even this morning coming in, number one, we are so excited. I would say we are thrilled that you are here with us. Number two, I think that what you're seeing when you look around the lot and you're kind of looking at everybody and everybody's ages, what you're seeing is not actually youth, as if this is just a church of young people. In fact, age-wise, I think it's not all that different. If you were to walk into Target and Blaine and you took a survey of everybody's ages, I think what you're seeing in this building isn't all that different than you'd see in any big box store in the city of Blaine. It's just... That the, unfortunately, that the vast majority of churches in America now, because they've lost so much of their spiritual vitality, when you walk in, you see the people that have been there forever, and so you see predominantly gray hair in the room. And so when people come to this church, 
when they maybe move to town and they come to this church and they look around, one of the first things that they see that their mind goes, oh, that's different, is age. But I will tell you, I don't think that's what it is. What this is, friends, what this is, is this is what it looks like when people of all ages are coming to Christ and growing in him. And I think it's beautiful. Three. I should have just had one or two, but I'm still going. Three. Not only are we so glad that you are here, uh, we need you. And so to the 75 of you who've talked to me in the last few months about being the only old person, we need you, maybe more than anyone else, to sign up for our groups when we get there in a couple of weeks. We need you to be like Elijah, passing on his wisdom to Elisha. You, know, you look at Elijah, now he started all these groups of prophets in these different towns. We need you at this stage in your life, Think first, not about who can pour into you. Think first about who you can pour into. All right, let's keep reading in the passage now. We'll get to some more of our points. So uh, page 250, at least I think that was the page, uh, and we are at verse 7 now. Here's what it says. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elisha took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood On the bank of the Jordan, he took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? So he strikes the water and he's trying to figure out, okay, are things going to be the same? When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over, just like Elijah, his mentor, had done before him. Okay, let's pause there. Here's what's happening. Right before Elijah goes up to heaven, Elisha says this really interesting thing. He says, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Now, some biblical context is really helpful here. Elisha is not actually saying, I want to be twice as powerful as you. Because that's kind of how I read it, right? In our sort of American context. I don't know how else you would read it. But here's what he's actually saying. In the Old Testament, and in ancient Jewish culture, the firstborn son always received a double portion of the father's inheritance when the father died. And so what Elijah is asking for, now that Elijah is leaving the earth, is he's asking for the right to be considered as Elijah's son, as his official successor. He wants to continue on in the same spiritual power as his spiritual father, Elijah. It's actually really a beautiful request. And so here's the third point the passage is teaching about this mentor and mentee relationship. It's that you want to crave the heart of someone ahead of you. Now, let me just be really clear here. You're not asking like, 
you know, it uses the word spirit that we don't understand as well, but you're not actually asking for like someone else's spirit. or that's, that's paganism. That's not Christianity. You have the Holy Spirit in you. What you're praying for, it's kind of like that song they play on Christian radio. I don't know if you heard the song where they say, give me a faith. I would sing it for you, but then that, that's what you would remember from the service as being, give me a faith like Daniel. Do you know what I'm talking about? And a hope like Moses. Give me a heart like David. Elisha's asking, I want the same heart of this man that I respected and followed for so many years. Give me that heart. And if you have a person in your life that you're walking closely with and you see their faith, you just pray the same thing. Give me their heart. Give me a ministry like that. Help me influence people like that. And then chase after them so you can see it. Okay, fourth point about this mentorship relationship. Fourth one is this. As we come to the end of this series, I think one of the things that really stands out is this idea of finish well. Finish your life well because other people are watching. I, I just love that our friend Elijah gets this glorious ending, the chariot of fire and all that. I, I think the thing that I love most about Elijah, outside of like his boldness, I think it's actually my favorite, but maybe my second favorite thing about him is that he finished well. So the eyes of the nation were on him and he finishes well. And if you've been with us all summer long, you know that there are so many points along the way that Elijah could have just jumped off the spiritual terrain. Places where I think a lot of us probably would have. Right? Maybe it was when there was no rain for years and he's just hanging out all by himself, just him and the ravens by the brook. A lot of us would be too discouraged. We quit. Or what about when the widow's son died? That was an awful moment for a little bit. Or Jezebel threatens his life. You know, he's fleeing in terror. Or for sure, when he was so drowned by depression, he was even suicidal. And yet, he sticks with it. You know, one of the things I think is really beneficial about doing a study like this, where we look at someone's life over a longer period of time, is you get to see that, okay, yep, life really is, like we always say, it is a roller coaster. And just because you're in a valley right now doesn't mean that you're going to be in a valley your whole life. Because that's not what happened to Elijah. Finish well. Keep pouring into others. You know, the longer I'm in ministry, one of the disheartening trends that I've begun to just witness and see that I just didn't expect when I started as a pastor is seeing Christians, uh, many whom assumed that they were going to follow Christ their whole life, end up growing cold in their 50s in their 60s. Uh, friends, especially to those of you that are younger, I, you've got to know, walking with Christ is a marathon. It is not a sprint. And if you get in this season in your life, you stop reading scriptures, you stop talking to God, you do that long enough, that's no different than like a real relationship. You stop talking to your spouse, you stop, it deteriorates. Just because you're passionate about Jesus at 40 doesn't guarantee that you will be at 50. One of the most interesting things I think I have anecdotally witnessed in all my years of ministry is I've kind of come to this interesting conclusion. I believe that the two most dangerous times in your life spiritually, where you're at most risk for letting your faith grow totally cold and walking away, are number one, it's not going to surprise you, when you finish high school, you go off to college. We know that one. Secondly, and I've seen this almost just as much, is when your last kid goes to college or leaves the house. So many I've seen 
kid leaves. There's no like, oh, we go to church because we got to take Johnny with, and it's just them. It grows cold. Keep the faith. Finish well. Every day matters, and your walk with him. And if you start to get low and you start to get in that valley of the shadow of death, seek the Lord. He is in the valley with you. He's got so much for you. We're so thankful that Elijah doesn't give up in the valley, right? Because God had so much more for him after the valley. What I want to do now, uh, before we get to the last part of the passage here, is I actually want to pause for just a few minutes, because sometimes we can talk a lot about people and our spiritual lives, but it's just so powerful to see it in real people. And we're going to share some stories with you of some people who have made a choice to trust God, to follow him with their life. So at this point, I'm actually going to call our baptismal team on stage because we're going to do a couple baptisms this morning. Amen? All right. Now, if you're kind of new around here, we're the church that half-heartedly claps. Welcome. Uh, No, what I was going to say is if you're new around here and you're like, I don't even know what this is all about we're just doing what the Bible teaches. You know, there's lots of different traditions around baptism, but this is what the Bible teaches, that when someone makes a decision to follow Christ, that eventually what we are supposed to do as Christians is to get baptized. Now, baptism is not what saves us. Baptism is like the wedding ring of the Christian faith. It is a symbol that we're all supposed to do that shows to the watching world that because of our faith in Jesus, that he died for us, that he has washed our sin clean. And they were a new person, a forgiven person. Our old life has been dead and buried, and we have risen again anew. And so the people that we're baptizing this morning, you're going to see that they'll have some sponsors with them, people that have had an important impact on their life. That is just an amazing thing to be a part of, too. And so we are so excited about this. And so at this point, uh, I'm going to call Missy on stage, and uh, we will, you'll get to hear some testimonies. Well, I'm glad I can't see everybody. <laughs> blinded up here. I had a praying mother. She had so much strength. There is so much strength in a mom who prays for her children, and it's so pure. As a preteen, I gave my life to Jesus, but somewhere down the road, I slid. As a teenager and young adult, I had been looking for approval in all the wrong places and had no self-awareness as to who I was or where I was going. I craved human praise, struggling constantly, always let down, disappointed, and full of heartache. I had the why me mentality, the victim, the attitude. I ended up in wrong relationships, going out to bars, clubs, parties, and in a spiritual or in a spiral that I didn't understand. I was like a chameleon, and I adjusted to whatever people wanted out of me. I had no clue who I was. If someone asked me what my opinion was, I didn't have one. I was that lost. My security was in things and other people because I didn't trust myself. I was blind and I was in terrible darkness. At my turning point, I did have a boyfriend and we were both in the same pit. We were at a point where we had visions and dreams to have something better for ourselves. Jesus has been in pursuit of me my entire life. I look back at it today and I see it. Jesus was calling me. 
I started feeling the weight come off, and I knew to stop looking and stop chasing after what everyone else wanted. I was figuring out who I was and could only do that with Jesus. When I rededicated my life to Jesus, my life changed. I began to read the word. I didn't always know what I was reading. I just knew that I had to do it. My boyfriend became my husband. Sorry. And we just started going to church. Jesus started working in me, and he led us to a church where we learned how to hear God and to know that still small voice. Everywhere I looked, God was sending me love notes. He was showing me his plans, his promises. His words appeared out of nowhere. His word became alive, and it made sense in every situation. Today, Jesus has given me the knowledge and purpose for me. I know this because I gave my life to him. Even though my life is not perfect, he has helped me create relationships and friendships that help find others their purpose with Jesus. God is still working in me. I can see him in my life and the people he put around me, including um, the thoughts, the ideas, the joys, and even the sorrows. He was in all of it. He rescued me. Thank you. Uh, Hi, everyone. My name is Blake, and I am 19 years old. Uh, Growing up, my household was never very religious, and I never claimed any religion. Uh, I've I've always been extremely skeptical of religion, actually. Unfortunately and regretfully, uh, I was one of the people in high school who would annoy their their religious friends and tell them how obviously wrong they were. Um, I was just a kid who thought he had everything figured out and that the basis of any religion was silly. Um... My journey started when I was invited to a church by a friend in February. For the sake of transparency, I was interested in this friend, and that was a pretty strong motivator to get me to go to church. (laughs) Uh, I have since started dating her, and she has been so helpful in my journey, and my testimony wouldn't be complete without thanking her, so thank you, Abby. Uh, Even though I had been dragged to church one time, by no means did I ever think I was going to be a Christian. I simply had no clue the power of the Holy Spirit and how it can change someone. My second time attending church was about a month later. Uh, After the service, I took a Bible and started reading Matthew out of sheer curiosity. I had realized that I'd never given Christianity a a fair shot and never once considered that it might actually be true. During this period of my life as a non-believer just researching Christianity, I was full of internal conflict and just simply put, confusion. Uh, Prior to my becoming a Christian, I was feeling pretty spiritually empty. A college campus can be a spiritually draining place regardless of who you are or what you believe. I just felt the general sense of meaninglessness with no clear idea how to deal with it. Even with that, I was never depressed, and quite frankly, I've always enjoyed my life. Every day, then and now, I feel incredible gratitude for the life I'm allowed to live. But spiritual emptiness is a hole in your soul that nothing in this world can can fix no matter how hard you search. As the months passed and I continued to research, I was reaching a tipping point. I was reaching a point where Christianity was transforming from an intellectual concept to potentially being a way of life. And very soon, I was going to have to choose which one is going to be. 
The Easter service at Renovation was a major turning point for my faith. It was in this church that I feel as though the Holy Spirit showed me that my search was over. I had found the solution, but I just needed to make a choice. I remember hearing David's story. Uh, David, the lead pastor here, he was up here like two seconds ago. Um, and finding many parallels to my own. But there was one thing that David said that spoke to me so personally, it almost felt as though the Holy Spirit was calling. It was speaking to some of my deepest thoughts and conflicts at the time. I was thinking, was being neutral in this situation really all that bad? Can I just not believe in anything? I was conflicted, and I just didn't want to take that step towards faith. It felt too bold for me. It was then David had said, regarding belief and non-belief, quote, the leap of faith goes both ways, and your decision is which way you're going to jump, end quote. Either way, I was taking a leap of faith. It was then I, was, I decided I was going to jump and take that leap of faith towards Jesus. I decided that Christianity was more than a concept, more than a research topic. It was the truth. Not believing is just as much of a leap of faith as believing is, and I'd go back and choose believing 10 out of 10 times. It wasn't until the beginning of June that I actually stood up during one of renovation services and accepted Jesus as my Savior. I accepted that I'm an imperfect person living in an imperfect world, and through his resurrection, resurrection Jesus offers me hope and salvation and the opportunity to have a relationship with the creator of the universe, which is kind of cool. Uh, I had taken my time to look at the evidence laid out before me, and after praying on it, it felt as though God had told me it was time to stand up. Making that decision is what solidified my faith, and from there, I was given resources to be able to meet every week and learn from my sponsor behind me, now in the pool, Greg. Uh, Greg's the one with the beard. Um, he was my church-appointed mentor, and for the past eight weeks, he has helped answer my incessant questioning and been a really beneficial voice for me on my walk. And for that, I thank him so much. <clears throat> I didn't have much guidance from my friends or family regarding faith, so the resources this church has available were incredibly important to me, and I thank everyone involved. If my old self could see me now, standing in front of my church, preparing to be baptized, I don't think he would have ever believed it. The fact I'm standing up here today is a testament to how unbelievably loving God is, and even how the most unlikely person is potentially only one moment away from opening their hearts up to God. While I'm still young in my faith and have a lot of progress to make, I know that through Jesus I am saved and I am loved, and I think that's a good start. You guys need to start shouting amen more often. Okay. What you're seeing here this morning and what you see often at this church is lives transformed. It's not transformed by just some thought. It's exactly what Blake said. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's God moving in our lives because of the good news of Jesus, that he died on the cross for sinners like us. You know, this is the reality. We are sinners. We all sin in different ways. And none of us is going to make it to heaven based on being a good person. This is not going to happen. Someone has to pay for our sin. And God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to pay for your sin. He died on the cross. When he died on the cross, he was literally taking the punishment for your sin. That is love. And he's seen all of your sin. That is the love of God. But we all have to make a choice. And the question before you this morning is, have you made that choice? Maybe you're just coming back to church like Missy, or maybe you're sitting here like Blake was for weeks, and you've just kind of been in neutral. Like, I'm really interested in God, but I'm not sure. The question is, have you made a choice? If you were to meet God tomorrow, 
are you saved? Or are you still trying to get to heaven on your own by being a good person? The only way you can be saved is to say, God, I believe in you. I believe you sent your son Jesus for me. And it's not just to believe and then go on with your life. It's what you heard about this morning. It's a, it's a complete transformation of your life that you can't do on your own, but God will do when you let him in and you let him be the center and the leader of your life. That is the good news of Jesus. And if you've never made that decision before and you need to get out of neutral, you need to let him save, you need to invite him into your life, do it today. Don't put it off, do it today. Because he is alive. Just like the end of this passage is for time, and I just believe what the Spirit is doing, but basically they go looking for Elijah, right? And he's gone. He's in heaven. And Jesus Christ, you can go to Jerusalem, you're not going to find his bones in the tomb because he's in heaven and he's with us. And that is what transforms us. And God can do that in your life. Let him in your life. In fact, let's just for a minute, let's have everybody just close their eyes. If you are here and you need to make a decision this morning to be forgiven, to make Jesus Christ the leader of your life, this is what becoming a Christian really is. Everyone in America says, oh, I'm a Christian. I grew up in this church. A Christian is a follower of Christ that believes that Jesus died for them. If you need to make this decision to let him forgive you, do it today and he will. He will transform your life. So if that's you, just as a way to mark that moment in your life, just tell God, I am ready. What I want you to do is just, just to raise your hand wherever you're at. Say, God, up to, up to heaven. Like, that is me. That is me today. I need that forgiveness. I need to be saved. If that's you, would you just raise your hand up high? If your heart is just going fast, you're going, I got to get out of neutral. I need to give my life to God. If that's you, you just raise your hand up. Anyone here that's just been putting it off? And even right now, there's a battle waging in your mind. If that's you, would you just raise up your hand to the Lord? All right, I don't see anyone in the service, but you know, I, I believe that the Lord works. You can open your eyes if you want. And, and he works through the testimony and the lives of his saints and his people. So if you are here, I just encourage you to take a step towards God. Maybe for you that's just coming back next week. Maybe it's taking a Bible with you like you heard. Or maybe, you know, and if you need to say, God, I need you in my life. You don't need to be in a church to do that. You can go home tonight by the side of your bed and say, what I heard this morning, I need that in my life. I want you in my life. You just ask him. Just get by your bed and say, Lord, I believe that you died for me. Come into my life. And he will. And that is the goodness of God. All right? All right. And church, I would just say to you, for those of you, and I know it's hard sometimes, you're coming here all the time and you're serving and you're giving, you're doing all those things. This stuff that you're seeing, it's happening because of what you're doing. God is doing it, but you are such a huge part of it. And it's awesome to watch it happen, right? All right, let me pray. God, thank you for what you did in this space today. We are so grateful. We give you the glory. We give you the praise. And God, we just ask for more of it. There are so many people in our city that are lost, and they don't know. We want to let them know. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
Amen. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great week.